Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Wes. And this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is not the Pokemon Show. This is a different show. We're just going to chat. We're going to talk about whatever we feel like, kind of like a mini show. I finished Tears of the Kingdom. I rolled the credits. Uh, 78.04%, if you're curious, was my completion percentage. You saved Hyrule again. I saved Hyrule yet again. I mean, seriously, when are they going to get up their lazy button and just do it themselves? They always have to wait for some hero to do it, and it's just... Everyone else is an incompetent fool. Like, Link and Zelda can get shit done. Everyone else is like, I don't know how to find a banana. Where are they all? Uh, It's amazing there's even a civilization there. Uh, If you can call it that, they're all living in ruins. Um... But, but yeah, so I, I guess we'll just jump into it right there. Uh, I wasn't too far away from the end, technically speaking. I guess technically speaking, you're never too far away from the end with that game. Um, but I had, the last time we talked about it, I had four of the sages. And then, Wes, a topic that we've been dancing around for months now is the fifth sage, which is um, a, a character that... Um, or, or like one of those those sage non-playable characters, uh, and also some some story elements associated with it. That is, I, I had like seen hints of. I like had seen what it was, and then there's the stuff down in the depths, uh, the construction sites where you know you have to take the different uh, limbs and that you can't access until you actually start like that actual quest line. Um. So what what this. Uh, I, I had a bit of an idea of what was going to happen there, but what actually does happen, what's supposed to happen, what they assume that you're going to do in this game, is that once you get the four sages, you get everyone back together at the lookout landing, and then you're like, oh, we need a fifth. For some reason, I don't know, there's a narrative reason why you need a fifth. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, but hey, uh, we, we, we need some. So then uh, it's like, hey, what about this uh, thundercloud thing, this thunderhead? Maybe it's got something to do with that up there. And that initiates the quest line. We have to go into the Thunderhead. Uh, it becomes slightly more navigable than it is if you just try to do it uh, without initiating that quest line. But you still can, because Wes, you did it. I did do that. And that was uh, that was accidental. Uh, so when, when you did it, did you like... I had one uh, temple done. And and did you like find like the two shrines that were up there and then There's two? Oh there yeah, there's two shrines up oh, there. Oh, I only found the one, and the one is where that um the head is. Mm-hmm. And that initiated the quest line to go down to the depths. So I'm like, alright, I might as well do this. I wonder what this does. And then I proceed to do the, the quest of building the robot and everything. Mm-hmm. And w- were you wondering the whole time, like, what is this robot for? Well, I, I didn't know that the robot was for something. Um, my, I had a co-worker that told me, and I was like, yeah, you can get a robot companion. I'm like, oh, cool. So I guess this is getting that robot companion. I just didn't know it was like full-blown spirit temple stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I didn't know to the extent of it. Yeah, it, it's one of the, uh, I don't know how many of the Dragon Tears you've done, but it's a character that was uh, sort of introduced during those those flashback scenes. Um. But, like, the, the actual sage itself, like, all the sages have their own, like, functions. You know, we all know that, like, uh, uh, Riju will, like, turn your, your arrows into lightning arrows and give, like, the, the big area of effect lightning. Um, the the Goron guy, Yunobo, uh, when you call on him, you can actually, like, have him charge for it. And actually, like, acts as, like, a makeshift explosive. So yeah. if there's a, a 
an explodable thing in front of you, um, you can save a bomb and just send him face first into it instead. But this robot thing, it's like a uh, a customizable. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you know, there's like when when you do the when you get it assembled, you do the whole quest line where then you actually actually have to take it to the spirit temple. And along the way, it gives you like these little tutorials like, oh, here's some stuff that you can attach to the arms. And here's some to make it move slightly faster. Uh, it's not as agile, obviously, as just going on foot. And there were points during that quest line, I was like, I'm tired of riding this thing around. I'm just going to get down and go on foot. It's easier. Yeah, they have a couple... Like The only thing I could figure out to put on the back that actually does anything is the fan. Mm-hmm. And that boost yep. that the fan gives you is less than your base running speed. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's probably, I don't know, it feels like it. Um, and so I'm like, why would I ever ride this thing? Because the second somebody hits me, I'm flying out of the thing anyways. Right. So it, it's really just slowing me down in combat. Um, yeah, I, I would, I tried it during that quest line to like do combat, and you kind of have to. You kind of have to... Uh, get used to what it is like in combat because then like the actual fight in the spirit temple requires you to be on the thing so if you're completely unfamiliar with combat it's going to be you know a bit of a tough fight they bring that back one more time with koga the master koga guy because you eventually Mm. fight him he's in like a ring again and you could do the robot fight i didn't i didn't even use the robot in that fight i was like screw it i don't even care to pull this useless thing out um I, i just beat him on my own but there is one more fight where they reenact that boss fight from the Spirit Temple. Hmm. You didn't do that? Um, I did I, I did all the Koga questline stuff. Yeah, the very last one, he pops up in a robot and pops up in oh. a fighting ring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. But like the, mm-hmm. the fight was the fight actually reminded me a little bit of Twilight Princess, like the sumo wrestling, because the objective wasn't to like just uh, do raw damage. The objective was to stun and then push the opponent into the electrified fence or whatever it was. Yeah. But but like the the thing about the the robot is it's supposed to be sort of modular. Like you can attach different things to the arms, like a spike ball or a cannon or a laser or uh, a flame head. Um, but and there's something onto the back. Yeah, but only one. Um, and you one can't, on each, yeah. and you can't even modify those. Like I can't like attach like a uh, a construct head and put multiple cannons on it, and it mm. seeks them out. If they allowed that level of customization, it would have been more useful. Um, yeah, it would it would have been great. Like you could set it up with like two Gatling cannons on each arm. Yeah, but even if you just like given a horn to use as a blunt weapon, that thing breaks. Mm. It doesn't take long for that to break. And the right. cannon is just one cannonball. It's not doing much damage. And most of the time when you're in combat, it's just going to create more problems because you're trying to get into the fight. And the next thing you know, here's a laser beam or here's a rogue cannon from your stupid robot just <laughs> making coming up the works. <laughs> now, see, once um, the initial weapons that I put on it were broken, I just didn't attach anything anymore. Because um, I was kind of like in the mode to where I was just going to finish off the game so I didn't feel like experimenting with the thing. But... You know, also at this point, I don't care to experiment with it. It's, you know, it's, it's, I'm okay with it running around and just kind of swinging its arms wildly at enemies, but I don't care to customize it. If they made it so you can modify it with those various Zonai devices and everything, Mm. uh, other than just one piece on each arm and one 
of really only two possibilities on the back, it would have been cooler. But it, right now, it's just straight up useless. I guess they didn't want to make it so you have this free robot that just does stupid things because you have all these crazy weapons modified on it. But at the same time, I could just make a robot out of just pure Zonai devices that is a thousand times more competent than that thing. Yeah, and you know um, they they shouldn't they should not have been afraid to just let you make something overpowering with that sage because like at that point if you've gone through that point in the game like the end game you know it, it was it was really fun all the the different things you had to do at the end game and all of the fights that you had to go through I won't spoil anything since you haven't gotten there appreciate as far it. as I know no I have not I I've been um, sidetracked you fight Ganondorf sidetracked I've been sidetracked with other stuff. You, you surprise! You fight Ganondorf. Was it a um, good fight, though? Yes, it yeah, was really actually, good. The 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 fights, um, they're they're like as you would expect phases to it. And you're not like exclusively fighting Ganondorf in all of the phases, but like some really cool stuff happens. Um, and, and at that point in the game, like especially you've been engaging with everything that the game has to offer. It's not like it's going to put up that much of a challenge. Like I had all of these restorative items and buffing items. I didn't need any of them. I mean, I probably got down to like uh, 14 or 15 hearts. So, you know, he was able to do some damage, but uh, I was just able to do so much damage to all these different phases just because just based on uh, the the stats that I had, the the gear I was wearing, and the buff that I was using, that it wasn't, you know, it, it, I, I was never in danger of actually losing the fight with how prepared I was for it, which is fine. Like I like that sort of thing. Like I've I've put the two hundred hours into the game. I should be able to go in there and have a good handle on the situation. Um, well, yeah, I th- I thought that the uh, the the last fight was pretty satisfying. Um, they hit you with some surprises where they go with, uh, with certain things enough to, you know, where it, it kept it interesting, um, in terms of like the, the gameplay, the things that you're actually doing. Um, but yeah, what a game, what a game, Wes. What a game. I would like to get back to it. I, I don't know. I, I'm overwhelmed by it at this point and I'm having a hard time bringing myself to get back into it. I, I need to go back and just tackle one thing at a time, but. It's always, because of the the size of that game, it's always like, I'm just going to go and focus on this temple. What's that over there? And Mm. I go into an hour tangent of just roaming around because I would like to, I keep thinking, like, let's just go back and just knock out the temples and just wrap this up. But that the big thing with the game is the exploration and everything. So it's like, I'm still missing out on a good chunk of the game if I just don't tear into it, but... Well, you know. could like my, my brain. Uh, and and how how I generally approached it, uh, and I've, we've talked about this a bunch of times, was like I didn't uh, try to make any sort of significant progress in any sort of playthroughs. Like, hey, within this next couple of weeks, I want to do as much as I'm having fun with in this one zone, and once I'm done with that, I'll move on to the next one and plan on not. Uh, and, and plan on not progressing out of that zone for another couple of weeks. And I actually did that. I did even slower. The second time I played Breath of the Wild, it was, no, this is the zone for the month. 
and I'm not leaving this zone until the next month. And there are, there are times where I'd finish a zone within a week and then I'd put the game down for three weeks and say, okay, well, I'll get to the next area when it's time. So I think like a, a slower approach is ideal for a game of this size. And even with a slower approach, like I only barely scratched the surface of what was going on in the depths. The depths was an area where I was pretty much just chasing the waypoints. Okay, the next light route is over there. Let's go there. And then if I run into one of those Ega towers where you get the schematics, I'll stop and do that. Or if there's a, a big like construct area or or mine facility, I'll stop and take a look at those. But there are a bunch of things down in the depths where um, I was like flying over it. And like, okay, well, that that's a, a thing that looks like it might have been put there intentionally. I guess maybe I'll do that someday. And it's it's a whole like inverse area. They, they more than doubled the size of the total explorable terrain. And yeah, it's it's um it's daunting. There's a lot to do if you want to engage with everything. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's, it's um it's much. It's oof. it's and, much. and you know Man, I can't it, talk it right. bugs me. It bugs me that they put your your completion percentage. I think like seventy eight percent. That's uh, respectable. It, yeah, it's it's not too shabby, but it kind of makes me want to go for the hundred percent. And and I you know. I've, I've rolled the credits and there's other stuff that I don't want to get to. So I'm not going to go back to the game within the next like several months, but maybe like depending on what's coming out next year, maybe we just kind of chip away at it and say, okay, this month I'm going to try to get up to uh, 85%. I mean, did you hit all the shrines and stuff like that? I hit all the shrines. I got all the light routes. Um, of course, got all the sages. Uh, it, it does kind of give you some, oh, I got all the sages wells. Uh, I did not get all of the caves yet. I got uh, 20, 25 caves left to find, I think. Uh, I did get all of the wells. Um, I've gotten all the Gleox, but there are a bunch of like Hinoxes and Froxes. Probably the, the Hinoxes probably are down in the depths as well um, that I haven't gotten to yet. Now there's there's a lot to do. There's like even um, I think I had excess of twenty or thirty stone taluses that I hadn't found yet, which is Sheesh. crazy because they're fucking everywhere. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah, there's a yep. lot of those in this one. You know that there's a there's a guy, and you probably came across. And there's a guy in the the lookout tower in um, the the sort of uh, the the hotel I suppose area down that ladder right in the middle. Yeah. In the like the camp area. Yeah. Um. And he'll give you a couple of quests, like, hey, take down this Mulduga, take down this Hinox. And then once you do all of his quest line, he'll actually tell you, oh, there's this many in the world that you haven't defeated yet. So that's a way of keeping track of... Yeah, but how are you supposed to go back and find a Hinox? Is he marking them, or...? No. No, sadly, they do not mark them on the map, but there is a website that's just called zeldamaps.com, and you can, like, create a login for yourself and just check off all of the things that you've done. Yeah, but I mean, how do you know you already got that Hinox or not? So, when you've defeated a Hinox and the Blood Rune rises and everything comes back, when you encounter it again, it will put like a little star next to his name and say defeated. Yeah, so you have to go back to all those Hinoxes and find the ones. Right. Ugh. Right. And unless you're using this other like third party proprietary uh, website. Uh, to track your progress, like the game is going to tell you by itself. Which has been real been real nice mm. if they were like hey here's here's a little thing you can toggle that shows you all of the bosses that you fought 
Because you can't stamp. There's there's too many things. You can't stamp everything. It just doesn't work. Hmm. But yeah, highly recommended. Pretty pretty good game. It's okay. That's it's it's fine, game. I guess. I'm just... <laughs> How's Baldur's Gate? Oh, gosh. Just... Did you pick a class? Oh, gosh, yeah. I have two files. Okay. Um, I'm going back and forth with two of them. Um, there's three acts in the game. I'm in act two on my main file. And then here and there, I'll play my secondary file. And the reason why I have two different files is essentially I have a good run and evil run. Okay. Because um, there is a pretty major quest point um, where you either side with this grove that has refugees in it and these druids, or you side with the evil drow elf and a bunch of goblins. Which one are you further in? Uh, the good one. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a much better... I, I did the bad one, and, it's, and you attack the grove and everything, you wipe them all out, and I'm like, I feel really bad right now. <laughs> like this isn't, this isn't okay, obviously, because it's an evil route. But I'm like, I I don't like this at all. But they they um, went like they went like super evil. They went like genocide evil. Yeah, like like thank God you didn't like kill any of the kids in there. They just simply weren't there. And like, oh thank God. Like if there were kids, I just can't do it. Reload old file and just give them this. <laughs> oh Anakin, not the younglings. No, just can't do it. Um, but yeah, I really in my main file I am doing a. This is all gonna be Greek to you. Um, <laughs> but for the listeners, in my main file, I'm doing a Pact of the Blade Warlock, um, Archfey, and I went five levels into the Warlock, and then I went three levels into Paladin, um, and then I respected, so my starting class was Paladin, that way I can use heavy armor with her. Um, and it's just a big melee brute, and I'm really liking it. And then my other class, I'm doing a ranger who just hit level five, and then I'm going to be taking him into druid for uh, gloomstalker ranger into circle of spores druid just for low extra damage and spell utility, I guess. Seeing how that's going to go, I don't know. The issue with this game is there's just so many things you could do with classes and customization and everything. I want to do it all. Um, and now, I when you don't when you have reclass. Enough. When you reclass, do you sort of do it because you've done everything you can in the one class, and then you start doing like like are you like a job system? You switch jobs, and then like maybe you can carry skills over from one to the other. Well, you you level up, and when you mm-hmm. level up, you can change a different class. So you can either go heavy on one particular class, and they have like high level abilities and stuff that you pick up if you go heavy in that one class, or you can multi-class and start picking up other perks from another class where. You're kind of sacrificing mm. the late game warlock abilities in order to gain some paladin spells and oath abilities in order to just buff you. Because like paladins at level two start picking up smites, and they're just really hard hitting melee hits that you can stack on top of your warlock stuff. Um, so that's no, is it like Dokabone Kingdom? Is it kind of like Dokabone Kingdom where if you know you get two classes? Uh, really well built, then you get like a third class. No, nothing you, like that. Mm. That would be cool. In mm. in a Pathfinder D and D, not a video game. In the actual D and D Pathfinder, there are prestige classes that have prerequisites you need to hit. And I always like the concept of those, but they got away from it in Five E, uh, which is what people typically play nowadays. I mean, path, people still play Pathfinder. It's a really good system. It's just much more 
number crunchy, where you're like really picking out every little bit of your character instead of like more broad strokes with a uh, 5e. It's a little 5e is a little friendlier to beginners at things. That's what we played. We played 5e at your um brother's bachelor party when you played that okay. uh what were you a rogue or something i don't know it was all nonsense to me it, it really was I, I was impressed you were really getting into it you're, you're like the speed this long let's get going like all of us were like kind of taking a seat back because we're like oh john wants to take a john wants to take a initiative here and <laughs> there, there, i remember there was a thing where like uh we, we we were up in a he he was James was doing um the the whole like wedding scene from Monty Python the Holy Grail which like is that whole, that whole yeah that was really that whole funny. act um and th- there's thing like we we just gotten up into the tower and done some rescuing and like a war was happening beneath and like okay you can see what's happening from out this window and like okay so I guess we had to leave with this person that we rescued let's just fucking jump out the window let's just fucking jump. <laughs> And then, like, once we had done it, and I guess we'd taken fall damage or something, James was like, you know you had a rope. Like, well, <laughs> fuck me. No, I didn't know I had a rope. Uh, it was, it was, oh, that was funny, because we had Jeff, the bachelor at the time, was a bard, and he hates bards. So it was funny mm. making him play it. And then the bride that he was supposed to marry um, was supposed to be Karen, his actual wife. And she ends up, like, turning into some kind of, like, evil witch or a hag oh, or something. And we end up... Because you left, but... Um, yeah, I had to go. <laughs> that that was the final boss of the that particular one-shot, is fighting off the bride so we can escape. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but Baldur's Gate, the actual game, other than the, the, the classes and everything that I was just discussing, there is... There's so much little things to do. It's kind of like... It's just funny because I really like in this, and I can't bring myself. I get overwhelmed in Tears of the Kingdom, um, where this is like there's so many little quests and little things to interact with to get different things. Um, but instead of one gigantic map, each the two acts at least really just have a large area that you go and explore. And so it's kind of like what's over in this area, and then certain things you do will cause other stuff. So it's not like a big giant open world it's kind of like just a very large area i can't i can't really think of a good scale and size to it but there's so many little things and it really rewards you for exploring and finding the little crevices and stuff like uh the path of the game in the first act you can completely miss the bottom left corner where there's like a whole little side thing with this hag and this girl that she has taken and how the girl actually had went to the hag to try to get her husband brought back from the dead. And after you'd be the hag, she's all mad at you and everything. And so you find the hag's wand and you bring the husband back and he's a zombie. And now the bride's like, the the, the lady's like, I don't know what to do with this. It, it's a whole big thing going on. And that's just a side area. <laughs> that's just, that was just a little... You, you could skip that completely. Um, it's just a lot going on with it. And I, I'm excited to see where the individual little stories go. Because even all the little characters have their own backstories and quest lines that they got to do. Uh, like an actual D&D campaign. And that's what's a lot of fun about this. You're playing a D&D campaign. Um, yeah, I really like when games do that sort of like... Um... Lot, lots of side content that you can engage with at your leisure. And, and I like, uh, I, I typically, and really big games, I like engaging with that stuff first because sometimes it'll give you a little bit of an advantage for the rest of the game. But like, there, there's like this, this 
all these different options and like that'll tell you, hey, your critical path is over that way. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to go in the opposite direction and see what you got for me over there. Um, that's like the way I engage with uh, Breath of Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. Every Xenoblade game has always been like, other. they've always been good about like, hey, your main objective is that way for, for your next story beat. I'm like, awesome. Going to avoid that at all costs. Um, and they, they do that as well in the uh, Xenoblade 3 DLC, which I bought and I played the first couple hours of. Ooh, how's that? It was real good. It's real good. So it's sort of a... What, what's the uh, size of it? I mean, compared to, like, uh, Torna. It's probably the size of Torna. Ooh, that's um, pretty big. I, th- I think um, when it was all said and done, Torna took about 30 hours to see all the content. And it looks like, from what I've been seeing, this one is, like, uh, 25-ish hours to see everything that you'd be able to see. So, you know, a, a sizable... D, uh, ch- a chunk of DLC. Um, especially this, when you a, can... this is just an extension of the current story. It's not like Torna where you're going look at look at the past and see how these things got to this. Or it's exactly like Torna where you're like it, you're in the past and see how things uh, oh. got to where they are. Oh, so, so yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool to get back into that world and b- because like. Uh, like in Torna, they changed up the battle system and they sort of justify it to like, well, no, you're not going to act the same way that you did in the main game because this is centuries before. So they were engaging in combat differently. Uh, they do the same thing in this to where like the battle system is familiar enough, but the the way that you are doing things like upgrading um, are going to be slightly different. Um. But, like, uh, essentially everything that you're doing, like, uh, all your exploring and taking on enemies and finding, like, containers and taking on side quests, so they all work the same. The biggest change this time around is that um, the, the way that you are learning new arts and upgrading your stats and uh, learning new passive skills are all through this um this this affinity grid system uh and you know it's it's not too dissimilar from a sphere grid but rather than everything like uh, out in a sphere just letting you pick from menus um but every time you do something like kill this amount of enemies pick up this collectible uh this many of this collectible that's lying on the ground uh find this many ether veins that you put into your canister it will award you with more of these points, and then you choose the character that you want. You want to upgrade their attack, or you can upgrade their HP, or, you, or this character you can upgrade like this this particular art, so it does more damage. So you know it kind of gives you a freedom to start specking out a character in, in what you think they would be good at, or, or would be most beneficial for their class, because they are also locked to classes. And right now I'm I'm two hours in, and I have uh, my my DPS, my healer, my tank. And there is one more character that we're chasing down, who I think is supposed to be some sort of special class that wasn't part of the like main set of classes that you got in the the mainline game. This but is a repeat real... of the, the the classes you used in Resident Blade? Like your no, nope. no, these are all brand new classes and everything. Right, right, and it does. It doesn't seem like because you remember in Xenoblade Three, every time you took down like one of those uh, Faranus things, you'd get like new job classes you could switch to, and uh, one character might might be an attacker, uh, and then it would switch jobs and it would be a healer. Um, 
and you're trying to like keep a balanced party while you're learning all of these different uh, job classes. But they're all either tank, healer, DPS. Mm-hmm. In this one, it seems like everyone's going to be locked to like their class that they started as, which is totally fine. It'll, it'll, it's supposed to be more streamlined experience. I'm okay with not having to like max out everyone's jobs in order to like get all the skills and things like that. I'm okay with just having the one. But it, it's just really fun to be back in that world and like running around and taking down enemies. And they make they always make in Xenoblade games everything really friendly to just engage with. So uh, if you, um, it, it keeps like a, a bestiary for you and it'll tell you like, hey, this enemy is in this area and this is how many you need to kill in order to get all of your your points to do more upgrades, all like your your skill points and shit, whatever they call them. Um, and then it'll keep track for you, not only in that bestiary, hey, you've killed two of them, so you need to kill two more, but it will also like tell you, like as you're just running around on the map, you'll see an enemy and have an icon above their head. It'll either like give you an icon like, hey, this is something new that you haven't seen yet, or this one you haven't killed enough yet, or it'll tell you this one that you, you've killed enough of. You're fine. So you can choose to ignore those enemies That's if nice. you feel like it. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. And it, it'll mark like the locations of like the uh, the, the tyrant enemies um, that you come across. So you can come back and fight them later. Yeah, they, they always make it very easy to do all of the things if you want to do them. But yeah, real, real good. Uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to be plugging away at it some more and report back on the mini show when we do one. The other thing that I've been playing okay. is Cocoon. And it's uh, it's a game the from the lead designer of Limbo and Inside, those games. So it's sort of a, a puzzle adventure game with no real combat there are some like boss fights but there's no like there's like attack button or anything the boss fights are also kind of like these uh adventure puzzle uh type scenarios um it's kind of like boy has blob kind of thing yeah i suppose um where you're not like directly engaging with like swinging something into their head you got to figure out how to use what you have to uh, avoid damage and do damage um but it's uh it's a, a really visually impressive game. It looks really nice, and actually, like the layout reminds me a lot of. Remember that game Hob, where there's like this this broken down sort of industrial civilization um, that you're you're moving on kind of in a, a top down perspective. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here rather than actually talking about what the game is. Um, it's it's a puzzle adventure game, and like. At a really reductive level, it's sort of level-based where you have one bespoke area and you're going to move through it, find your exit, and then it's going to kick you back out to a hub. And then in the hub, you're going to find another sort of bespoke area and you're going to go into that and do all the other puzzling in there. The, the where where it gets really interesting is these sort of levels and they're represented by colors. There's a, a an orange and a green and a purple, but all of these levels that you're in are represented by spheres. And the the to order to like enter those levels, you're actually entering the sphere. 
and doing all the stuff in there. And there are going to be times where you need to go into one sphere, do something, and that's going to affect another sphere, another level. I can't do games like this. I just can't. I don't. I don't have the mindset, the, the, the and, mental capacity to do it. And they're going to be like, and and each each of these uh these spheres, when you're in the hub world, they're represented by the levels are represented by that sphere, and they're going to do different things for you. So if you're carrying around the orange one, there are these uh, bridges that will activate. They're able to walk across and access more areas in the hub. When you're carrying the green one, you can only carry one at a time. When you're carrying the green one, uh, there are platforms that are intangible. Um, and when you enter them and activate them, they become tangible and will like uh, put you at the top of the platform. And then it works in reverse as well. When you're at the top of one that can become intangible and activate it, it shoots you down to the bottom. So they give you different ways to move around. And when it starts getting really fun is when it says, okay, you're in the green one, but you need to use those bridges that you saw in the hub. So you need to bring the orange orb that contains the orange level into the green level. Oh, and then God. and then there are times where it's like, okay, but now there's something you have to do in the orange in order to continue to move in the purple. So you have to go within the purple, into the green, into the orange, and like it gets like really layered. And it's always it's super fucking smart the way it's designed to like make you think about these things not only in terms of like uh, new power-ups new ways to move around the level but also like usable space and how you can maneuver this space in order to um get to uh overcome the next obstacle and they'll, they'll set things in your path like hey you have this thing following with you that you need to get to the other side of this or for example a bridge you need to get to the other side, other side of this bridge but there's an obstacle in the way that the thing following you your little drone can't cross so you have to take your drone into one of the orbs uh, put, give it, put it in a resting spot leave take the orb up take it across the bridge yourself put it down, go back into it, take your drone out with you so then it can do the thing it needed to do on the other side of that bridge. And it's just full of those sort of things where you have to be thinking about all of the the space and abilities at your disposal at the same time. It is really, really good. Um, I'm a bit more than halfway through it according to like the, the progression marker in the game. It's a lot like, like Limbo and Inside where it kind of gives you uh, an idea of how far you are and right now I'm sitting at about 60% uh, and I really like it it is real real good yeah I mean, one thing this game does look really nice uh, it, just the artwork and everything the amount of just detail and every little thing it, it, this is just it looks really nice um, I it hurts my head just watching a walkthrough. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm like, I would not have figured that out. Um, yeah, it's like playing, um, what is it, 3D chess? Hmm. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. With, you got to think of all your moves on all these different levels and see how they coincide with each other. And just like, oh, God. It's yep. Just... <laughs> yep. And I uh, never has a, a word of text. It's like that game Hyper Light Drifter where, like, well, in Hyperlight Drifter, there was like 
uh, iconography, some sort of like uh, uh, not like written text as in like English, so, but there were like symbols and things that would represent uh, different things. So once you sort of understood like, hey, this one means it's powering up your, your melee attack, you can kind of decipher what do these other things mean. In this one, there's there's no text at all to explain anything to you. And it does a really good job of just like, hey, here's a game, go play it. And they'll find smart ways of tutorializing things that you need to know and and then not holding your hand once it's kind of set you in motion to doing to doing the thing you need to do. Uh, there was one time in the game so far that um, I had to look up someone else playing it because I got totally stuck, had no idea what to do. And then I saw I saw them get stuck at the same thing when they were playing it and then figure it out and um there was no commentary on this thing but like when when they they when they figured out when they did the thing i kind of like was exasperated I was like i had no idea i could do that like it wasn't a mechanic that the game let you know you could do so there was a time so far where i thought something could be have been like better demonstrated but otherwise has been really really smooth what what are you you will bug climbing through a person like i don't some, know what's... some sort of bug robot thing i don't know like the the orbs like the the levels that they send you into are like very naturalistic environments but the hub is very industrial so yeah i don't know huh. but it's 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 fun because it doesn't like a lot of puzzle games especially puzzle platformers will rely on puzzles where you have to like push and pull things or like find the hidden switch and doesn't really rely on that sort of stuff it just finds really good ways of having you go in and out of these different stages at different times to get around the thing you need to get around yeah you gotta carry the orange orb to make the bridge but you need the the, the green orb to turn the walls on and off so you can get the little robot across it, it, it's just so yep. much stuff going on so many things happening it's real good oh highly gosh. recommend Oof. Um, you got anything else? Anything else that you're playing that you want to talk about? I'm just playing Baldur's Gate. That's really Good. all that I'm doing. It's it's soaking up my life. And I got like uh now and then I thought, oh maybe I'll play something else today. And the only the other thing I got is like Tears of the Kingdom and or Fall Fantasy sixteen. And I don't think I wanna go back to sixteen. That was a that's not that pleasant of an experience. I would like to know how the story goes, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if I care enough to just run through the same thing over and over and over again. Did you get any farther than the last time we talked about, or was that no. kind of your stopping point? No, that was the stopping point. Yeah, I, just, it, I can't bring myself to get back to it. it uh, it's, um, just, it's not that good of a game. It really isn't. It's a very well-polished, good-looking turd, but there's no depth <laughs> to it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not. It doesn't seem to be working out great for Square Enix. Um, it in wake of like the the sort of like reception, like, and they, I think they they sold or they said that they sold three million within the first week, and I'm not sure how how well it did after that. I think that's the only thing they've said so far, and you know, three million, nothing to sneeze at, no. but that's like, you know maybe a million more than Xenoblade 3 and like I Xenoblade mean, and Final Fantasy those are two totally different tiers of games yeah I mean it's a Final Fantasy game so I mean I, I don't know I never looked at the numbers I don't know how well Final Fantasy game typically sells um, 
if I had to choose this over like Final Fantasy, whatever long one Lightning is in the sequels, I would 13. definitely choose this because that is just there's more a little bit more depth to the actual characters and the way you can strategize things and stuff like that. But at the same time, it, it's borderline meaningless. Um, I don't know. It, they haven't made a good Final Fantasy in years. Hmm. They they put all this work in their MMO, and I hear it's a really good MMO, but. One, I'm not going to play another MMO. Um, and two, I don't know anybody playing it. So it's like, I'm not going to go get an MMO and just wander around aimlessly on my own. That's weird. This is um, happening uh, on the Switch too. We're going to play Final Fantasy fourteen <laughs> on the Super Switch. On the Super Switch. But they haven't made... They got so far away from the Final Fantasy formula that I, I don't know why they're still bothering with... They're, they're just using the name to sell. Um, I mean, I th- they're no, they're no longer Final Fantasy games. I think we talked about this when we, when you actually talked about Final Fantasy sixteen, is um, they, they've decided. It seems like they've decided that Final Fantasy, in order to continue to exist and maybe to a, a appeal to a, a wider or a Western audience, has to be an action game. And like you said, like they've, they've moved away from like the more turn-taking active time bar ever since Final Fantasy X. That was the last time that they did like uh, an actual turn-taking-based RPG. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe it was um, 13 still had it, but you're only controlling one character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, why do I have active time bars but I only have one character? I'm just going to sit here and watch everybody do things and then just wait for my turn. I, it's just... And I think this like, isn't D and D, guys. Like this is, <laughs> and, and I think like fi- the Final Fantasy VII remake struck a nice balance between an action game and uh, a more traditional uh, art, like Final Fantasy style RPG fight, and that you could uh, like actually pause things and select your like your 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 magic that you want to use, or if you want to do a summon or something, and you could like actively switch between characters if you felt like it, and they made it fun to do those things, but. Yeah, the I, I much more look forward to the other things that Square Enix puts out rather than the mainline Final Fantasy. But speaking of which, did you see the the trailer for the next installment in the Final Fantasy VII remake? I, I saw part of something at some point. I haven't sat down and actually watched it. Oh, it looks real good. Does it? Looks it looks real, real good. Yeah. Oh, I still I, need to get back and beat that one i can't beat a video game it's making me mad i can't get through a game before i'm like i hate everything about this and move on to something else Baldur's gate i'm committed to right now you got this um it's happening i've had a couple of times a day where i had to walk away because i'm like this this fight's really freaking hard and i just like Mm. especially because i was playing my other character so i was doing a couple of fights that i had done already but i'm using a different team layout with different classes and everything and so I'm like this isn't going as smoothly as the first time like this is really hard <laughs> like um but it, I guess I tried to win Baldur's Gate uh, but yeah yeah the Final Fantasy um I would like to get back and actually beat that game I got pretty far in it I think um, they're doing a really good job with uh, these Final Fantasy 7 remakes uh and it, it looks like uh, that's going to continue with the, the second part it looks really really good um, I, I'm not sure I don't, I'm not sure if they said where it's going to end it seems like I think they've said it's going to be a much more expansive experience than the the first remake where we're just kind of taking you through Midgar which you know they took like 
a five or six hour stretch of the game and stretch it into 30 hours. I think they did a really good job with it because it was uh, it was really fun throughout the entire thing. It was really cool to, to spend more time in Midgar in these remakes. Um, doing more with Avalanche and actually have some character development yeah. with that. I mean, yeah, for sure. we, we learned more about Midgar and all the, about the way it is there. Um, and yeah, that was, that was really well done. And uh, the... The the second part here, I think they're they're saying like um, a, a more expansive RPG in terms of like just the the, the amount of space and also the time it's going to take to see everything. Uh, and it's it's on two desks. It's a PS5 oh. game on two desks. That's fucking wild. Oh my gosh, that's absolutely insane. It's going to be like a 250 gigabyte game. That's oh, and that isn't that's crap. crazy. There's a crazy amount of game. That is nuts. Oh. But they, they showed um, uh, the Cosmo Canyon in the trailer. They showed the Gold Saucer, which is before Cosmo Canyon, so they'd have to. They showed Nibelheim. Um, they that's the little village where you find the, the scientist's lab, right? Yeah, that's where Cloud is from. Yep. Um what they didn't show, I don't, then I wouldn't expect them to like show all the places that you would go. But I, they haven't like confirmed like where in the progression of the game, like the the second part is going to end. Um, I think I think it's it's pretty safe assumption that it ends like at the city of the ancients. But we'll see. Yeah, probably with Eris' death. I mean, that's where if it happens, one ended. Oh, if it happens, if it happens, they're gonna save Eris. So that, that 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 chick is dead. What are you talking about? You, you that, didn't that, you didn't make it to the end of the the first part of the remake. But the whole thing about the remake was, um, the the story starts to diverge from the way that it happened in the in the main game and the the original version. So. That's when all like those ghost things come in. Like no, yeah, that are, was weird. Things are going differently. You gotta we gotta correct to make sure things play out the exact same way. And when you get to the end of the remake, there you have to start fighting these things, and you take on fate, and you defeat fate. So now it's like okay, uh, things might play it a little bit differently. And then you know, with, with you know, I'm gonna spoil this this Go ahead. four year old game for you. Then, then at the end, Zach shows up. Yeah, he's supposed to be dead, and he's supposed to be dead. Yeah. Okay, I see. Okay. So I get it. it, it it's possible things play out very differently. Yeah, especially Zach shows up. That's weird. Mm. But we'll see. You, you know, it'd be the the really bold thing to do, like really brave storytelling. Fucking oh, kill boy. Cloud. <laughs> Zach's the new main character. Yeah, like Cloud's the one who gets stabbed through the chest, and then like, nope, he's uh, he's done. He's like, done. You gotta play no Omni Slash for you people. Nope, you don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm excited for this game, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to play it in five years when I own a PS5. <laughs> <laughs> But I did. Um, as a, one last small note, I did play through the Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster, and you can get that through that game super quick. 
Like they have yeah. the the options to turn on like four times experience and four times gold, and I turned those on and I played through the game in twelve hours. Yeah. And, and that was with like stopping and taking time to level. I was way over leveled, where I think I ended the game like near level eighty. Um, I mean, was it still a good experience though? Oh, yeah. I don't like being I don't like being overpowered. Oh yeah, it was it was still, like like I've played through that game so many times that I, I know like all of the beats and where I'm supposed to be going next and all this. So it was just kind of like a quick breezy trip through memory lane. I didn't need it to be challenging. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, I don't like those kind of games where they just kind of let you... I don't like grinding until I'm mm. 10 levels above the final boss and just two-shot them where I don't have to strategize and things like that. that I feel like that defeats the purpose of the game. So I'm okay with that sort of thing. And I think the comparison we always make is like Resident Evil. If you're saving your Magnum bullets, the final boss will be easy. And like in an RPG like Xenoblade, if you're engaging with everything you can engage in, you're going to be way over leveled for like the final boss. But like if you're able to just turn up your experience and your money, I can see how that's like not exactly a satisfying experience if you're playing through it for the first time. So. In an RPG, I'm okay with being able to take down the final boss super easily if I'm putting in a lot of work into like grinding and stuff. That's like the payoff. But if you're just playing through the main game critical path, it should be a little challenging. You should be able to like sort of tune the experience that way with how much effort you're you're putting into side content or grinding. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like uh, if you're just able first time playing through turn up the experience and just be super over leveled that'd probably feel really unsatisfying but if you know when the day the day comes that i play through final fantasy 9 again i'm definitely going to turn up anything i can turn up because i think i know that game i know that game inside and out i'm just going to play for for fun now it's it's like a new game plus yeah i guess it's like a new game plus like uh, like a persona 5 new game plus that i haven't started yet Speaking of Font Fancy, yeah, um, and I, I'm sure he's going to be listening to this show. But uh, a friend of the show, John, I gave him my copy of Font Fancy, the trash one. What was the trash one? Eight, twelve, twelve. Yeah, that one. That was the the one that we were complaining about recently. Probably twelve. Uh, the, the remake was it twelve? Where you're, you're the one guy, you're a bunch of white people in a world of oh, yeah. tons of different races. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave him that, and he's like, "I'm really enjoying this. I'm doing this. Hey, he's got the job system. I like what they did with this. Do to do to do. I'm like, it's a trash game, Ugh. and you should feel bad. And uh, yeah, no, and, and I'm the, glad somebody's making use of that investment that I made. But you know, and and, it, and look, it's, I don't. It's a bad game. <laughs> I, I don't want to shit all over something that someone likes, but I'm about to. Um, <laughs> the the problem with that game, aside from the complete lack of diversity in the party that you build, uh, is also that they have to tune because they give you so many different options with like the, the the gambit boards and the job systems that they do. They give you so many different options. They can't ever tune any particular challenge to specific bills. They can't really say this boss can only be taken on by these particular jobs or this particular set of skills because you might not have anyone with those available skills at the time, which would then force you to go back and try to retune your party. That would actually be something more interesting to me. Like you were saying about just being able to 
like breeze through any game because you turn the experience up. There is a boss in Final Fantasy XII, and it's really early on, that can only be damaged by arcane magic. So you had to have someone who knew arcane magic in your party to do anything against that boss. And that would have been a much more interesting experience if you could fuck up. But they don't tune any of the other bosses or challenges in the game to where you can have totally fucked up your party. Um, and it's a bit cowardly in terms of game design uh, to to not put uh, that, that sort of challenge to players. So what you can do as a result of this is you can have two DPS and a healer and just program the game, program your, your, your gambit system to, okay, whenever anyone gets below this percentage HP, heal them. And then set your other two just to go do damage and put the controller down. And when you're able to set up a system like that, it just makes it wholly uninteresting to me. Yeah. I would rather they say, no, no, that's not going to work. Figure some other shit out, come back in 12 hours. <laughs> That's bold game design. Ah, there you go. Finally. Talk to somebody who actually understands good video games. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else we need to address here? No. No, I haven't really watched anything. Uh watched The Flash. It was good. It was fine. Um, oh. I, I've just been watching a couple of things for the the retro show. That's so what we'll be discussing that then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me and Des watched um, the Ring, which is kind of coming up on the retro show, as well as uh, I will never watch that movie again. Ghost Ship. That'll be coming oh. up on the retro show as well. I hear that was really bad. Uh, you know, we'll get into it. It's not great. I mean, I think like <laughs> you can have a good time with it, but you're not having a good time because it's a good movie. Sometimes those are the fun movies where you're just oh, yeah. watching them. You're watching them with somebody with the intention of making fun of the movie. Yeah. And those those movies are a lot of fun sometimes. And, and you know, it's um, it, it's a different sensibility. Like The Ring and Ghost Ship, and we'll, we'll get into this more in the retro show, but they're both horror movies, but they're very different horror movies. Like Ghost Ship is a fun movie to watch because it's not good, but you can have fun with it. Uh, and The Ring um, is not particularly fun to watch. It's actually kind of a draining movie. It's very long, and you feel the length. Um, but it's it's a very different sensibility because it's, it's uh, a remake of a Japanese horror movie. So it's, it's a very different approach to horror that I'm sure we'll talk about on the retro show. But next up is The Pokemon Show. Yeah, you have a game for us, yeah, right? We're gonna, Ryan and I? Yeah, we're going to do a, a quiz, and it's going to be Halloween-themed. Ooh. It's a Halloween-themed quiz. I feel like you need to tell Ryan this, because so, now I have a, a little bit of insight, because he, he's, he's not with us tonight. Yeah, I've got a competitive advantage. Uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll send out the message to him so he can study all the Halloween Pokemon or something. I don't know. Do we, do we know where Ryan is tonight? Um... Yes, he is attending the funeral of Diane Feinstein. She recently passed away. She's the 90-year-old senator from California. Passed away. Oh. Yeah. Uh, tr- really tragic accident. She crashed her speedboat into an oil rig. So. Did that actually No. Did that happen? <laughs> no, she's fucking 90. 
fucking parachute didn't open. <laughs> it was a shark attack. In her living room. <laughs> oh, you know, everybody has those moments where they're just stupid. Ninety-year-old uh, <laughs> driving a speedboat into an oil rig. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would have heard that. <laughs> heard of that happen? <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's it. End of podcast. So long.